All right, welcome to our fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Matt, joined by Richie, our co-host. This is our first episode, so hopefully in a few years when you look back, if you wanted to hear our raw starting point, this will be it. And you can kind of laugh at our uh, our amateur ability of editing and podcasting. Today on the agenda, we're going to give you a little overview of why we have chosen to do podcasts, especially from a fantasy baseball perspective with emphasis of Dynasty Leagues. We're going to talk a bit, a little bit about how the shortened season from last year is going to affect what we hope will be a full season this year. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up with some of our opinions on the off-season moves this past uh, winter, which are still, as we speak, happening. So I'm going to bring in Richie right now, and uh, we'll kind of kick it off. Richie, what's up? Hey, guys. Uh, Richie, um, thank you for having me on the podcast, Matt. Hope to do this long-term with you and... We can look back in a few years and just laugh at how amateur we were, but I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's uh, this, is, this is new for us, but we love fantasy baseball. We've been doing this for what, 10 years? Uh, 2011, I believe, 2012, yeah. I think was the first time we started up our league, and it's um, grown and blossomed into more than we could ever hope for, turned into a redraft league and turned into a, a mock dynasty slash keeper league, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Yeah, it's been exciting. We uh, we kind of fell in love with it as a group of friends, and it, as Richie had said, has blossomed quite a bit since then. But Richie, give us uh, give us a little bit of a take as to exactly why we chose to start our own podcast. What were the reasons? Um, I think everybody has their own reasons for podcasting. Um, my first reason why I chose that we should do this is after listening to so many different podcasts, whether it's CBS, ESPN, Fantasy Pros, every podcasting thing has their own unique niche. Um, CBS likes to talk about redraft with a little bit of keeper, ESPN more so on the roto end. I think for our league and what I'm looking for is kind of that dynasty approach, but more so on the type of prospects that are going to hit the league in the next year or two. You know, you listen to these dynasty leagues and sometimes they're talking about players that are 16 signed from the Dominican Republic and they're not really going to become relevant in five years. So trying to get a blend of uh, a little bit of redraft as well as dynasty. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, we have a few teams in this league. I currently hold Jason Dominguez and Richie currently holds Marco Luciano. But our rosters are not created in a typical dynasty format where we are rostering a hundred plus players. We have, I think, what do we have? Seven bench spots available, and those seven bench spots are, are crucial to the ability for you to play through a season. So if you choose in our league to roster four players that may not be up for an extensive period of time, you're really putting yourself at a a playing disadvantage for that current year. Kind of a General overview of our league, we have keepers locked in for four years if you choose to. That's the that's the max. Uh, you do not start your keeper contract in our league until you've officially hit the major leagues and either had one at-bat or one pitch sequence. And that's kind of where Jason Dominguez and Marco Luciano uh, play in. But Richard, give them a little more info into exactly what our league structure is like. Yeah, and each dynasty league is structured differently. I'll just give a quick overview of what ours is. So there's 25 roster spots, one catcher, first base, second, third, short, three outfielders, and we have two utility players. We have five starting pitcher slots, one pitcher slot, whether you want it to be relief or starter, and then two relief pitchers with seven bench spots. So it is a points league. 
Um, pretty much standard. I think the only thing that stands out with ours is hitters do not get negative points for strikeouts. And for steals, it's only one point rather than two or three points, which are some other points leagues. Points yeah. leagues, yeah. Heavily, heavily influenced on, on stealing. And then um, on top of that, as Matt said, there's you get a four-year contract. It's auction league, so every year that you have a player, their price increases by $5. So let's say Matt picked up Randy Arozarena for a dollar, and now next year he would keep him for six dollars, and then eleven, sixteen, and twenty-one. But the interesting thing is, we also have what's called franchise players. So you can have one franchise pitcher and one franchise batter, and you can keep them for however long you want, and their price can continue to rise if you select them as your franchise before you give them a four-year contract. So let's say Matt picked up Randy Arozarena, as I mentioned before, and he wants him as his franchise. He can keep him on that $5 progression up until $50. Now let's say he kept um, Giancarlo Stanton on his second year, and he's like, you know what, I want to keep him as my franchise. He would automatically bump up to $50, and then he can keep Giancarlo Stanton for the next five years at $50 if he wants. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen this in our league develop over the last two years of implementing it. Uh, really, our league took shape as a group of guys that want to be in it long term. And we said, okay, we all have favorite players. This league started with me drafting Trout and Harper in the same season. And I had those guys for about four years, but we looked back on that and said, okay, that's going to cause a little bit of, a, of an issue in the league if you can franchise multiple hitters. So we said, as our Favorite player on the team, if you want to hold on to him, you get one guy. And this past year, we actually added pitching to that. So a few players in our league that are currently under franchise are going to be Jan Moncada and Sixto Sanchez. Now, those players are going to be extreme values in year six and seven, or even five for that matter, because normally they'd have to go back into the free agent pool. And you obviously allow that progression of $5 to give you that value. So just something fun in our league to really... Give, uh, give an advantage to individual teams if they've got those guys, if they've held on to young guys and they've blossomed into superstars early on. Um, but I would say our league is very competitive, and we are now seeing this coming up draft. Uh, from, from my team, for example, I think I have one roster spot to fill, maybe two. And again, to kind of reiterate what Richie was saying, our salary within the league, because we do an auction draft, is going to be $300. So that's, that's also a big part of this is we do auction uh, obviously with the allocation of money. But now that you kind of have an overview of our league and, and how we play fantasy, uh, I kind of want to transition into maybe our second segment here, which is going to be our thoughts on how the upcoming season is going to affect the new season. Uh, so Richie, kind of kick it off. I guess I'm going to start with a question of um, pitching. How do you view pitching is going to hold up over a, a rigorous, say, 154-game season? I... Uh... I think that it's going to definitely affect the younger talent players like Sixto Sanchez, Ian Anderson, those those young talents that are going to be going within the top 100, 150 picks. You know, we've seen them excel in these, I guess, the last two months of August and September of last year, and now they're going to be relied on to have a full workload. Now, it's going to depend on what the managers do for their teams are they gonna shorten them and give them only five or six inning outings rather than their seven or eight are they gonna get skipped here and then are they gonna have that phantom 
DL stint or IL stint, I should say. So it's gonna it's gonna definitely take an impact. I think those players will see it the most. I think for this year, if you're drafting and you're going for a championship, I think having those late twenties, early thirties pitchers like Jacob Degrom, Trevor Bauer, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, where he wants to pitch every fourth day. I think he's really gonna have the ability to go however long he can go. Um, yeah. Clayton Kershaw, if he stays healthy, I think he can have an impact as well. Yeah, I agree. I just uh, wanted to throw some numbers out there. We're going to try to avoid numbers in our first podcast just because this is this is our starting point. But Sixto Sanchez pitched 39 innings in seven starts last year. I mean, that's incredible. If you expect your best pitcher, which Sixto Sanchez is going to be their best talent pitcher, if you can even imagine him getting 150 innings. That's a little hard to believe with how we're really going to go about uh, a five- or six-month season. And you look at Ian Anderson, 32 innings, right? Again, 150, that's going to be kind of hard on those arms. And Gary Cole, who's on my team, I hold him. He, he pitched very well last year, not maybe as well as his year with the Astros previously, but is he going to be able to hold up for a 200-inning 200 season? I don't know. I hope he will. But I think maybe our threshold of expectation next year should maybe be 150 innings. Because even DeGrom and Cole, they may they may not be st- as stretched out as they previously had been. But we're very intrigued to see how it goes. Uh, how about from a batter's perspective? What do you expect now that the, these guys are going to have a full season? You know, Maybe look at a guy like Yelich who really struggled over two months. Do you think he'll rebound with an extra four months to play? I think Yelich specifically will bounce back. I know last year he struggled with not being able to review footage in games, so I think Depending on how the league plays, they'll change that up, so he'll be able to come back from that. And all the underlying numbers, I don't have them in front of me, suggested that he was the same player and his strikeout rate went up, I believe, 5 to 10%. Um, we don't have the numbers in front of us to check that. However, I think players go in these month, two-month hot streaks or slumps throughout the season, and they don't have that six months to break out of it or cool down or regress to the mean. So I think we're going to see a lot of players perform how we're expecting them to play. Yeah, uh, and I hope so. I think you got, you look at guys like Mike Ustremski who thrived over what was the first month, and his numbers kind of came back to that median point over the, the course of the full two-month season, but that's just simply a hot streak, right? We've seen that April after April. These guys come out of the box and they play well, but you have five more months for those numbers to kind of come back to where they should. Yelich really didn't have that opportunity to shine like he does at the end of August and all the way through September to really rise his numbers as we've seen in, in past years. So I think it'll be interesting. One of the guys I had really struggled for me last year, I guess two of them, was Rafi Devers and uh, and Gabriel Torres. Both had terrible starts. They finished okay. They kind of got their groove back in the last week or two. But I had black holes sitting on my team for a while, and those are guys that are top 100. I can't just drop them to the waiver wire and pick up someone maybe from the Giants who's streaming and, and plug them in with the hopes that I'll get better production. So that's another big thing. And the, and the two names that stick out to me, you were talking about slow starts. The things I think about are the people who came up with hot starts and then cold, like Eric Hosmer mm-hmm. and Nick Castellanos. They both started out really hot. Eric Hosmer was considered a breakout of the year because he increased his launch angle and then you know near the end it went back down to the normal and it's like okay is Eric Cosmer the same guy we've known so it'll be interesting to see what happens with those type of guys if they're gonna stay on the 
track of who they were the last month of the season or are they the people we saw in the first month of the season? So it'll be very interesting to see. I think that's a great point. And even last year, within two months, we saw those RSDDs at Kino breakouts where we we really got excited. I think one name that comes to mind is Jesse Winker for me. That's a guy I, I was really high on the year previous. And Richie actually was able to pick Winker up before I grabbed him. For about two weeks, we thought this was Winker. You know, he's going to hit 300 and he's going to hit possibly 35 home runs over the course of a season. And two weeks later, he's back on the waiver wire. So no matter two months, six months, you're going to have those guys go through those hot streaks where they really do confuse you still. But I'm excited to see a longer season. So maybe that those players like Winker have a chance to show the, that growth. And yes, they have improved. But all right, I think that was a good... Could start to uh, start to the podcast. We're going to kind of transition here into uh, our final segment of the day, which is going to be kind of an overview of this offseason, kind of the things that we've seen, the things that we like, and maybe the expectations we have for these players that have switched teams. So, Richie, why don't you start us off? We're going to go ahead and talk about the, the pitching that the Padres have added and what our expectations for the Padres as, team, uh, as a team and then these players as well. So why don't you go ahead and kick it off? Yeah, I think the Padres are definitely going to be a contender. Definitely a, a favorite to win the World Series. They have Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, Chris Paddock, uh, Denelson Lamette if he stays healthy, and then they just got Joe Musgrove. So they have a starting five where pretty much any one of those pitchers could be an ace for one of the struggling teams like the Royals or the Twins. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I think Musgrove's addition is huge. Um, you know, we saw him finally play a little better last year with Pittsburgh, what some of his raw data showed he could do. You're now talking about him going to a, a much larger ballpark, more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark. And yes, given he has to play the Dodgers and has to go to Colorado, those aren't as daunting anymore when you talk about Arenado no longer on the Rockies. And obviously the Dodgers coming off a World Series victory, no longer having Justin Turner. So I do feel like that division has weakened a little bit. And I'm excited to see Darvish pitch there. I think he showed great promise last year and I'm excited personally because well he's on my team and I need him to play well but he's finally going to have an offense that isn't so hot and cold like the Cubs were. Let's kind of uh, transition to the Blue Jays. Before we uh, move on I do want to say it'll be interesting to see what happens with Blake Snell. That's uh, where my eyes turn to with this with the every with the new rotation they have. Um, you know, Blake Snell rarely went six innings with Tampa Bay, and that was because of his injury concerns and his workload concerns. He never um, really had h- high innings yeah. in the minors or the majors. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see if the Padres let him let him go and just let him go six, seven innings, and if he can stay healthy. Yeah, I saw an interview that he had done right after he was traded, and they were really discussing Tampa's manager's decision to pull him in the playoff game and kind of where his head was at and his his feelings. It really sounds like Tampa Bay as an organization made the decision to limit his innings throughout his career in Tampa with the hopes that it would also bring in more longevity of health. So hopefully, being in San Diego now, he has the ability to be left in through 7 and 8 if he's on a roll. We'll really get to see, is Blake Snell an ace? Is he a top 10, or is he that six-inning, five-inning guy where he falls outside the top 10? And the the other thing to note, too, is they still have Mike Clevenger, too, who had Tommy John, so mm-hmm. it will be depending on how his uh, rehab goes, but they might have him for the end of the season as well. Yeah, I mean, that would be exciting. Uh, we also have to kind of keep an eye on Denilson Lamette. Had a huge breakout last year. 
showed extreme promise with really just a two-pitch arsenal. And, you know, he's still facing injury concerns coming into spring training. But let's uh, let's transition over to the Blue Jays because they're the next team that really added a lot of strength. What are your opinions on, on what they've been able to do? Well, I think it definitely helps that they got Marcus Semien. I know there's rumors that they might play him at second base, um, but I also think he could play third base as well, depending on what they want to do with Vlad. I've heard he's lost some weight in the offseason to make him more agile, so maybe he will be able to play that hot corner. So we'll see what they decide they want to do in spring training. But I really think having George Springer on the team is going to be a huge addition, just having that experience, that veteran player, because they have those young guys like uh, Lords Guriel and Rowdy Telez, Bo Bichette, you name it. They got all these young guys that probably need a veteran player like George Springer just to keep their head right, their head in the game, stay level, not get in the highs and lows of the game. So I think besides the statistics, I think he'll be able to, to help bring that championship mindset to the team. That's a great point. I mean, think about his leadership in, in Houston and what he was able to do for well, it was a young team back when he was already two years in. He was able to help give confidence to Correa and help kind of groom Bregman. And him and Altuve really paved the way from what was, you know, terrible teams to more of a successful foundation. I'm going to go off and list the uh, 2021 projected lineup for the Blue Jays. They've got Springer, obviously, in center. Simeon, as you had said, at second. They've got Bichette still at, at short, which, he, you know, no one's taken him out of his position. Teoscar Hernandez here in the cleanup hole is going to be really interesting. Does he continue his hot-hitting ways, or were they kind of a mirage of that short playing time? I mean, again, a player on my team, he really gave me production from the waiver wire that I had not been able to acquire in the draft. Anyways, that's followed up by Vladdy at five. They've got Calvin currently in the third base slot, so you know Marcus and him probably can trade off, mm -hmm. give some versatility. Uh, Lourdes Guriel is going to be in the outfield. Rowdy Telez, who was a big player last year. What do you yeah. think of Rowdy this year? I know a lot of experts around the industry believe he's going to break out. However, I feel the Blue Jays are not done this offseason. I feel that they might make another move just because he has been inconsistent in his play, and they might not be ready for that. It seems as though they want to make a championship run this year, and this might be the year they go for it. And if it is, I don't know if they can fully trust him doing that. However, if he does play, I think they might move him to DH and kind of let him go there. Otherwise, they could also do Vlad at DH and maybe put him at first base. Yeah, those are great points. Roddy Telez, can you imagine if he turns into a 260-35 home run? I mean, this lineup you're talking about, is it goes from extremely young and dangerous to a little more advanced now with Springer and then the emergence of Roddy Telez. They're going to give the Yankees a shake, I feel like. The other thing, too, is we don't know what ballpark they're going to be playing in in 2021. So it'll be interesting. Is it going to be a pitcher-friendly park? Is it going to be hitters? Because you know that they are lacking in their pitching staff. I know they just acquired Steven Matz from the Mets. However, I don't know if that's going to get it done. They do have a young person in Nate Pearson. Um, they do have Hunjin Ryu and Robbie Ray and Ross Stripling. So we'll see if they can put together lineup for that. I do think if they were to go into a pitching-friendly park, it would help them overall because they do have the bats to thrive anywhere. I think those are great points. Kind of to, to wrap up the Blue Jays, you know, they're going to be possibly starting now three lefties and three very similar lefties in Ray, Ryu, and Mats. Uh, very, very curveball slider heavy. Uh, Ray and Mats are a little more similar, and they like to rely more on the strikeout. But Rue was great last year. 
and I think I'm excited to really watch Ross Stripling possibly have his first real breakout starting rotation spot solidified. But yeah, let's move on. Let's go over to the Yankees, kind of see what we think about their additions. Uh, Richie, why don't you talk about some of the guys they've yeah, added? Yeah, I, I think uh, the big names here are Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyone, two pitchers. I think Corey Kluber slots in perfectly as their number two. He had his workout. I think he was touching 89-90 on his fastball, which is a good sign. They're projecting his velocity to hopefully be uh, up, not upper 90s, but 91-92 by the time spring training rolls around so that he can pitch at an effective level. I mean, that's obviously something to be seen. To be honest with you, though, I am a little upset that they did make these signings with Kluber and Tyone just out of the simple fact of I wanted to see what they had out of Jordan Montgomery, Davey Garcia. You know, they're getting Domingo Armand back from his suspension, but also Clark Schmidt, you know, a, a high prospect on their team. I know we're trying to go more on the dynasty things, but we're getting caught up on offseason stuff. I was a little upset to hear that because I wanted to see what those guys had in them and for my own personal thing, pick them up in our draft or in our yeah. own. The current rotation projected, it has Cole followed by Tyone, Kluber, Montgomery, and Domingo Germán, followed by Luis Severino. Oh, I forgot about Severino. Once he can come back from yeah. Tommy John. And it's interesting, in our auction last year, you had Severino and Chris Sale both with injuries having Tommy John. Uh, I was able to actually grab Sale for $16. Now, giving you a little bit of oversight, a good pitcher in our draft will top 50, if not more, because for the most part, our league is locked in with the top, I'd say, 40 underkeeper control. So if anyone within, anyone within the top 40 hits the, the auction board, their price is extremely exuberant. So Severino and Sale were options for teams that may go into last year in a competitive nature to just storm on the IL. And I did that with Sale. Another team did that with Severino, but I think Severino went for about 25. Yeah, the, the thing with, with Dynasty in general is that people tend to look at the the young players. Everyone forgets about the old guys. Like, for instance, I was able to pick up Dylan Bundy for $3 in our draft near the end. I was like, you know what? Um, maybe a change of scenery from the Orioles to the Angels is what he needed, kind of like what uh, Jake Arrieta needed with the Cubs. So I took a risk, and it ended up paying out for me, and now he's a top 100 player in drafts this year. So we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. But don't forget about the players that are 25 to 30, the post-hype um, sleepers or prospects, I should say. That's going to be a, a focus for me, talking about that in our future podcast, because I feel that doesn't really get talked about as much in the big-name podcast. So just a little glimpse of what's in store for the future. Yeah, no, that's perfect. This is, this is probably going to be a, a full-lengthy podcast when we get to it. As Richie had mentioned, we really want to discuss when prospects from a pitching perspective pop. Richie and I have, have been played for 10 years and having been in a dynasty format have really focused on getting young arms before they come up or right as they get up, say Dustin May, for example. But what we've been able to track over a 10-year period is that these guys do not hit right away. We'll see one of us pick them up. We'll see us drop them after three months. Another guy will pick them up. And we want to kind of track what age do they finally get the groove, kind of get that level of experience and blossom into a top-tier pitcher. Blake Snell definitely crosses my mind, but Jose Fernandez, who we love, was really a big guy for our league. He went through three or four teams before he ended up back on my team, and that's when he exploded. So again, we will touch on that down the road. Uh, last thing I want to touch on with the Yankees is Debbie Garcia and Clark Schmidt, and Richie had said, two great arm talents, but this team's trying to win now, right? They're not, they're not waiting around for these prospects. I think that's pretty clear and the evidence we've seen from this offseason, 
another thing we got to look for Tyone. Is Tyone going to present that number two overall potential, or is he going to continue to run into these freak injuries and uh, kind of fall by the wayside? All right, we're going to move on here. We're going to go ahead and talk about the Mets now. Um, we're going to see kind of what we feel with their additions of Lindor and kind of adding to that pitching staff. Richie, how do you feel about Carrasco and Lindor? I think the big the big name here is Lindor. You know, they were trying to fill that shortstop spot for so long with Ahmed Rosario, primarily known for his defensive skills. So as far as a fantasy output goes, he never was really utilized. He did have speed, though, for stolen bases. And then they had Andres Jimenez, apologies if I pronounce his name wrong, who I think they he was locked. There was nowhere for him to play. They have Jeff McNeil at second base. And their outfield is already a cluster with they're already trying to figure out what they're going to do with J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith. So I think freeing up that space, um, getting rid of players that they weren't going to use and getting Lindor, hopefully they can sign him long term. I think that's the superstar they need. Maybe it's the last piece. And they're going to have an outstanding pitching staff, I believe, because they have DeGrom. I think Carrasco will fill in nicely as their number two. They have Marcus Stroman. They just uh, got Joey Lucchese to fill in. I think that's just temporary, pretty much a band-aid until Noah Syndergaard can come back. Also had Tommy John in May, so I know they usually say, what is it, 12, 15 months for Tommy yeah, John? So 12 if, to 15. So if they, if they have a good run and they can keep games afloat, they'll get him in the middle to the end of the season, and I think that will only help help their cause. This is, this is hearsay I'm going to bring up next, but it's something me and Richie have talked about prior to this recording the concept of possibly bringing in Trevor Bauer. I mean, you would go Jacob deGrom, the best pitcher in the National League, whether he won Cy Young or not last year, which did go to Bauer. But then you'd have Trevor Bauer as your number two, followed by Carrasco. And then when, when Thor comes back, he's going to fill into that number four slot very nicely as he gets his control back and kind of builds himself back up. But then just thinking about Marcus Stroman possibly as your number five, you, much like the Padres, you can run through this league with the expectation of winning 100 games. And this offense finally has guys that can set the table. Lindor is going to be on base for when Alonzo finally pops his home runs. You're going to have guys like Jeff McNeil, who are high OBP, high contact guys right there at the top. And I think we saw an amazing start from Dominic Smith last year. Not necessarily the opportunity to hit against lefties, but the kid has amazing promise little bit older again as we had talked about he's not that 21 year old that's exploding I think he's 23 or 24 now but I'm really excited about the Mets I think the Braves are a little terrified of what could possibly be coming out of uh, coming out of New York uh, but yeah that's a, that's a good overview of New York do you have anything else yeah the other thing I want to say like I said with the Blue Jays with Springer I think the addition of James McCann with that veteran presence I think that will help the pitching staff if they do get Bowered because you know I feel like he's kind of a hothead with all his Twitter antics, but I think having him there will help kind of keep his head on straight, having DeGrom to bounce ideas off of. I think they can make each other uh, better players. And then the other thing, just looking at this rotation, it reminds me of the Nationals the year they won. They have those three big names with DeCrom, uh, Syndergaard, and possibly Bauer if they get him. And then they can use those other guys like Carrasco Stroman as the long relief and you only really need three starters in the playoffs. So if they can get there, I think that they might they might, they run. might take it. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be a it'll be a Titan matchup if we get Mets Padres in the NLCS. I think that'll be really exciting for as baseball fans to watch two powerhouses go at each other. Yeah, ideally I'd like to see uh Blue Jays versus Yankees in the ALCS and just 
I mean, I'll be happy with a World Series out of any of those four teams. Yeah, great, great teams. They and it's it's a measure to these teams and what they're willing to do in a financially capped year in terms of revenue being much lower. These teams have gone out and said we're going to spend money. I kind of just wanted to bring up the fact from especially the Mets' perspective. This is the difference for fantasy baseball that a new owner has on a team. He comes in, he lays a foundation for hopefully will be a winning team, and says I'm willing to, I'm willing to commit to this team. And within months, the Mets have turned this around, while also been in the news for some of the wrong wrong captions from their former GM of what two weeks. But very very proud of the Mets for what they've been able to do. I think maybe the final name we want to talk about today before we wrap this segment up is Arenado. This was a big trade over the weekend. This was a trade that affects Richie's fantasy team quite a bit. He is uh, he is Richie's franchise hitter at $50. So, Richie, why don't you talk about Arenado and being in St. Louis? Arenado is my franchise player. I do have him for $50. However, obviously with his shoulder injury last year, his value decreased. I think he's going around a second or third round pick in most drafts right now obviously that's going to decrease with him leaving Colorado which is notorious for being a hitter friendly park so now he's going to St. Louis if any of you guys listen to other podcasts I'm sure you've heard about all the statistics of home versus away so I won't go into that but I know a lot of people are comparing this move to the Matt Holiday uh, move when he went from Colorado to Oakland then back to St. Louis where he did produce however it was at a lesser level in Colorado and I think that's going to be very similar. I wouldn't be surprised to see Arenado still hit for average. I still think he's going to be anywhere from a 275 to 300 hitter. However, I think his homers are going to be gone. I don't think he's going to be that 35 to 50 home run guy that we're used to seeing. I see him more as a 25 to 30, 35 hitter and or home run guy, I should say. Depending on where he hits in the lineup, I think the RBIs and runs will still be there. But as far as I'm concerned, he's not worth $50, I mind, for an auction draft. Arnado was such a captivating player and such a dangerous bat in Colorado. And Matt Holliday is, is a really good comp because he left Colorado and he still performed, but he did, his numbers did fall off a bit. And I think he did have one season in St. Louis where he performed very highly. So I do expect Arnado to kind of follow suit with that. He's also a little bit younger than Matt was when he was traded to the Cardinals, but Again, that lineup in St. Louis is also aging. You're having Paul Goldschmidt show, show slow decline. Yachty, obviously behind home plate, is also really getting up there in age. Paul DeYoung is really a streaky hitter. We'll have to see how Arnado holds that lineup down um, and really competes for the NL Central now. The Cubs have kind of showed their hand that they're on the rebuild. The Brewers are struggling without having a consistent pitching staff, which Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff hopefully have shown their true potential and can perform over a full season. I think today we're going to wrap it unless Richie has any more comments. The, the only other thing I would say about this trade is it'll be interesting to see what the Rockies do at third base. They do have Brennan Rodgers in the minors. He struggled last year and I believe the end of 2019. So it'll be interesting to see if they fill that hole with mm-hmm. somebody like Garrett Hampson and then play McMahon at second or if they bring him up and just let him grow at the major league level or I mean and so a lot of offseason moves could still be in the works so we'll see what happens and those are those are points that really affect our dynasty concept right I mean Brandon Rogers was a guy that when he was drafted at 18 I had said is going to be the best player out of that draft and up to this point I've been wrong his bat talent hasn't shown in the majors but neither has the consistency from the Rockies to play him or Hampson both very talented players but you got to give them the ability to grow 
and the ability to showcase those skills on a regular basis. McMahon, too, out of Orange County. I'd actually lived in Orange County for a little while and uh, had some friends that said that he was by far the best player that was coming out of their schools and that a few of them had played against. So I want to see those guys in 160 games. I want to see what their lines look like, and I want to see improvement. But you got anything else for us today, Richie? I don't think so. I look forward to our future podcasts, and I hope you guys enjoy this. Yeah, that's right, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, But again, we hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you next time. Take care.